0: good morning, Faith Promise. How are you guys doing today at the Pellissippi Campus? Come on, give it up for it. Man, what a time of worship, and uh, just the way that God continues to move in our church. We're so grateful that you're here, and uh, excited to be with you this weekend, That I get the chance to share with you. Uh, Pastor Chris is still gone, and uh, he is in a unique place. You guys pray for him as he's been in a conference, uh, first in leadership, and then now uh, he's been with some of the greatest preachers and pastors in the world, and just... Uh, the opportunity for him to be poured into and recharged. And so lift him up. He and Michelle will be traveling back tomorrow, and uh, he'll be back this next weekend. And then today, uh, we're live at all of our campuses. And so uh, you know at Faith Promise, there's always going to be something different. We're trying something. And uh, today we're using uh, live communicators at each of our campuses. And so really would ask you guys to pray this morning that God would move across our campuses and each one of our pastors who are sharing and uh, just the opportunity for our campuses to grow and experience uh, all that God has for us today. And let me remind you of one thing. Uh, This week is the last week to register for the Global Leadership Summit at the lowest rate uh, that's available. It's $89. It's August the 6th and 7th. And here's the deal. If you take the card for GLS, you go to your boss. If they're a good boss and you say, "Hey, I want to go grow as a leader," uh, they're going to look at the people on there, and you're going to get two days off to stay with your church family for $89. You can thank me later, okay? Take the card and uh, do it tomorrow. So Tuesday, you can register or register today. It is going to be an incredible time. Our staff will be here as well. And so it's a great opportunity for us to grow together, to become all that God wants us to be in every area of our life. And so uh, after Tuesday, it goes up to $119. And so save yourself 30 bucks and uh, get registered for the GLS. You truly don't want to miss uh, all that God has to do in our church through that opportunity. Now, we're in this series called Rise Up, and Pastor began on Father's Day a message where he took it easy and soft on our men, and I'm disappointed in that. But then last weekend, uh, Pastor Zach took it to another level. We talked about Rise Up and warfare, that no matter where you are and no matter what's happening in your life, you may be in the driest season that you've ever been in but that God can breathe the breath of His presence into your life. And you know what? Maybe your life hasn't been any different this week, or maybe it's been the most amazing week you've ever had. But don't give up, because God wants to see amazing things happen in and through you, right? If you're a Christ follower, He left you here to accomplish what's His purpose and plan for the world. And so don't give up. Continue to pray. Man, we're praying that through this series, amazing things happen in your life, and that God just does an amazing work at Faith Promise that goes beyond, man, Ephesians 3.20, right, beyond what we could ever ask or think or believe could happen. Now, today we're going to talk about uh, another message in the series of these, and but today we want to talk about rise up and be the church. Now, before we get going, I want to explain a few things to you because uh, many of us are confused about what it means. To be the church or to be a part of the church. You see, for many people across all of our campuses this weekend, they think that this building is the church, right? And we say that. I mean, it makes sense. Where are you going today? Well, we're going to church. We drove to church. That's what we did. But the reality of what the Bible teaches us is this is that the church isn't a building. The church is in your chair, right? You are the church. We didn't come to church today. We are the church today. We came to this facility that God has given us so that we can accomplish all that God has for us. But next weekend, if this building collapsed, God let it not happen. But if it does, uh, we're going to meet somewhere else as the church because we're not confined as a ministry to this building or to six locations. We're confined and we are the people of God. We are the church. But there's a challenge in our culture today because many times believers I think and even today it's greater problem than it's ever been in our culture that we're losing focus. But we're losing focus because we've forgotten that God called us to be the church and because we've forgotten that we think the building is the church and because we think the building is the church there's no power in this facility whatsoever Right? The only way people get here is if you invite them or draw them or bring them. But there's nothing that this facility can do on its own except for the time that's out at the road. But every part of us was created to serve God, to be a part in our relationship with God. I'm reminded of a story that I would tell you guys of a friend of mine. Uh, Tyler Summit, many of you guys know his mom, who's Pat Summit, was one of the uh, greatest coaches, right, in women's basketball, the greatest coach, what am I saying? Good grief, and, and, uh, and you know, winning his coach, and all these different things. And as I began to disciple him a few years ago, and he would talk about his dream, right, he had his dream to be a greater coach than his mom, right? He wanted to stand on her shoulders. And I would always tell him this, Tyler, I want you to never forget this. God hasn't called you to be a coach that's a Christian. God has called you to be a Christian that coaches, right? He's not called right. That God's plan for him is that he would be Christ crucified and raised up for people to see, and that he would coach on the side. Man, he's a Christ follower, but you are the same. We're not just clapping for Him. If you're a doctor, it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer, if you're a teacher, if you're a contractor, whatever you are, God has called you to be the church first. And then everything else that He's called you to Right, that God left you on the earth that Christ, so that Christ should be revealed and elevated in your life in such a way that it would draw other people to himself. That in your family, you would be Christ lifted up. That in your job, you would be Christ lifted up. That in serving in his church, you would be Christ lifted up. That Christ would be first and in all in your life. And that's why we're teaching today, rise up and be the church. In Ephesians chapter 2, I want to show you this verse, and it's one of the few that we'll talk about uh, from the book of Ephesians today because we're going to talk about the church at Ephesus. But in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, Paul had told the people who were there in the church in Ephesus, look, salvation is about you. There's nothing that you can do to gain it. There's nothing that you can do to accomplish it. God has given it as a gift to you. And then after he tells them that, he says this verse, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, look at this, so that we would walk in them. You see, God did not call you to be what you are, your degree from high school or your college or whatever you thought about being or technical school. God called you, when He saved you, to be the best Christ follower that you can be and to impact the world in a way that only you can Our job as a Christian is to follow Him. Our job for us is to follow after Him. And the problem that we have today is this, is that many Christians have lost their identity. They believe that coming here means they're going to church. They've forgotten that God called them to be the church. And when that happens, the church loses its influence. And when the church loses its influence, the church begins to lose its power. And when the church loses its power... The church loses its identity. And I think we could all agree that in the 21st century, in 2015, there may have never been a time where the church has lost, at a greater level, its power and identity in the culture of our country. Would you guys agree with that? I mean, it's just a tragedy of what's happening around us. And I want to share with you this weekend uh, from this thought, what are the signs that the church is dying? What are the signs that the church is dying? But before we get there, uh, I want to go from one place to another, and so let me share that with you. A few weeks ago, I got the chance to go to Kids Camp, uh, FE Kids Camp, Move, uh, the MOVE Camp. It was amazing. Pastor Gina and our team at Tullesipi and each of our campuses and volunteers, what an amazing uh, camp it was. I, side note uh, these I didn't write these down this is the truth uh, one if your kids weren't there they should have been there and so uh, look for opportunities for them to go because it'll change their life uh, finish second grade through finish fifth grade it's my plug for Gina. I hope she'll give me some money off of that but then second thing uh, pastor didn't hammer men at the Father's Day weekend but can I tell you guys something I'm praying that men will rise up and care about our kids you know when I was at camp and I was one of the only men in my grade, we had to rely on high school guys who did a phenomenal job to make sure that camp happened for the boys of Faith Promise Church. Would you guys rise up next year? Seriously? Like, you got a pass on Father's Day? You don't get a pass on July 5th, you know what I'm saying? But, hey, we need you to rise up. Okay, that's got nothing to do with the message, but don't forget that for next year, okay? So, The greatest thing about camp that happens, uh, it's not going, it's not the food, it's not any of the things there, but on the last day when it's time to leave, uh, Pastor Gene and their team have these motor coaches that that line up because it's so hot, and on the way down there we went on the cheese wagon, you know what I'm talking about, like they pull the, the school buses up and we make our way down. And then on the way back, they pull in the motor coaches, and they have uh, air conditioning, and uh, they have uh, uh, TV screens, and we get in there, and we get to sit in the air condition, which we hadn't done much in the last few days, and we get to watch a movie on the TV screen. You know, every kid's dream, right? I mean, everybody's used to that now. Used to, that was a big deal. But anyway, that's a big deal still for some of us. Uh, But anyway, so we get in, and we're watching this movie called Megamind. Any of you guys seen Megamind? Any of you guys? Yeah, it's a good movie. You should see it. I mean, I'm not endorsing it or anything. But anyway, nonetheless, uh, we're watching Megamind, and when it starts out, it really struck me as odd. Because the movie starts with the end, and then it goes back to the beginning. So they show you what happens at the end, and then they go back to the beginning. And so it's, it's really interesting because you go, why is that happening to him? Okay, now we're going to tell you. And they go back to when he was a little baby, all the way back when he was in an alien planet and all this kind of stuff, right? And then he gets shipped into the, uh, you know, to the country and all this. Oh, whatever. Anyway, go watch it. And so in our message this weekend, one of our uh, pastors said, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if we told the story of the church at Ephesus from the last thing we see in the Bible? And then we went back and told the story about how they got to that place. And the last thing we see in the Bible is in the book of Revelation, uh, written by a guy who's named John. And if you haven't been in church for a while, or maybe you've been in the church for a long time, uh, the book of Revelation gets a bad rap in the church, right? Because some of the ways that it's written is prophetic, and so it can be a little bit more challenging to understand. But I want you to see that what it says about the church at Ephesus is really very easy to understand, and we can all make application of it. And John is writing this. He's one of Jesus' disciples, and he was an apostle, and now he's writing. And he's writing this letter, and it's going to be seen in these churches. And he writes to one of these different churches. And in Revelation chapter 2, we actually see what he writes to the church at Ephesus. Listen to this with me. He goes to say this. Uh, He writes saying this. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven uh, golden lampstands, says this. Now, that's the hard part to understand. Don't worry about that. Uh, anyway, and so, listen right to what he You'll get all of this. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. Okay, you hear what he's saying? He's, they weeded out false prophets and teachers. Okay, so we got that part. There we go. And you have perseverance and you have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Man, they've been committed. Man, they were still attending, still active, still faithful and, and doing some, doing some good things. But I have this against you. Uh-oh. That you have left your first love. He wasn't talking about your college sweetheart or your high school buddy or something like that. Who's he talking about? Jesus. But you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. It's The church in Ephesus, we see, and this this is the last picture we see of the church of Ephesus in the book of the Bible, in, in Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And what's happened here is this. The Bible says, hey, they were doing some good things. And you see, that's the same thing in the church today, in the church in America, and even the church in the world. There's some good things that are happening. But the problem that we have today is that many people who call themselves Christians who identify with Christ, even though they go to church, they have forsaken their first love. Let me tell you how we can evaluate that or diagnose that in our life. For many of us, we remember when we were more committed to Christ than we are committed today. Think about that. If you were to look back in a place where you serve God, like you never served Him before, would you look backwards or would you look to today? Or would you be looking somewhere in the future to say, you know what, I'm trying to get to that place. And what Paul is writing, or, or what John is writing about the church of, of, of Ephesus here in Revelation chapter 2 is a reminder for us that the ways that they had served Christ in the previous days was greater than the ways that they had served Christ then. And for many of us, we're looking back when we serve Christ, instead of realizing and serving Christ and being the church today. And in Revelation 2, we see that there were some interesting things that happened in the church. Because it tells us that there was a period of time where they had followed Christ, right? They had really been committed to Him. But then they got it all messed up. And this is what I believe. I believe that a day became where they believed that Christ would follow them. Does that sound like your life? It sounds like my life in seasons. Have you ever gone in a direction and thought, I'm not sure what God's saying, but I'm sure God will catch up with me? And maybe some of us wouldn't admit. We're going say, well, yeah, that's really what I did. But we recognize it in that moment. We recognize that we've set out on a journey never thinking about how that would impact our life. or what a difference it would make in our life. You know, and we believe, hey, Christ would follow with me. But I want you to understand something that's so important for the foundation of this message is this. is that Christ doesn't follow anyone. Christ doesn't follow anyone. The Bible says that Christ is the head of the church. And when he was saying Christ is the head of the church, was he saying Christ was the head of the Pellissippi campus? No. He was saying Christ is the head of your life, that Christ is to be lifted up and exalted in your life, that you are to be a person who follows after him, that you are to be a person who is committed to his purpose and his plan for your life, that you are to follow Christ. But see, for many of us, we think Christ at some point was going to follow us and that we were going to go on and live our life, and at some point out there, we would catch up with what God was doing, and we never caught up with them. And to see what God did in our life at a time where we served Him, we have to look back behind us because we've not really served Christ in a long, long time. You see, for many of us, we think, "Well, oh, I'm going to church today. Man, I want to support Pastor Chris. Uh, then you got here today. You're like, well, I don't want to support that guy. Should we stay or should we leave it? But then you, okay, we'll stay, you know. And you go, well, I feel like, you know, I, I you know, yeah, that's what we're supposed to. Do. You know what, Pastor Chris, how, how, how desperate would his life be if he actually planned and prepared because we came here? Right? If he was here, you know, if if Pastor Chris was standing here, he would say, I prepare so that Christ can be lifted up in your life and so that you will follow after him and you will commit your life to him. Right? He might as well preach to an empty room. Because most of us, right, myself included, don't always do something with what he says anyway. You know what I'm talking about? And Paul is writing, and he's saying in to the church in Ephesus, and he's, and he's talking about the church in Ephesus, and he goes back to the beginning. And in the book of Acts, chapter 19, I want you to see this, because it really is amazing. Just like in that movie Megamind, we see something that, that happens and after we've seen the end, we go, well, they ended up losing their first love. What happened at the beginning? Well, in Acts chapter 19, I want you to see this because the church of Ephesus didn't start off the way that they ended. They had some radical things going on. Paul was teaching at the synagogue, and they got mad, and they kicked him out, and he went to this other place, and he begins to teach there. And the Bible talks about all that begins to happen. Look at this in Acts chapter 19 and verse 9. Let's read it. Let me read it to you. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, He's talking about the, the Jews. Speaking evil of the way, the way is Christian, before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years. Now look. So that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. God was performing extraordinary or extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Listen to this. This is crazy. The Bible says this. This is real. It's not just on the TV screen. So the handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried away from his body to the sick. Look at this. And and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. That's very different, right? He's there in Ephesus. He begins to teach. When God begins to move, God begins to move in such a way that Paul touches stuff, people take it and put it over to people who are sick, and they get healed instantly, immediately. God's been in this radical work. There's even a great story, there's fun stories in the Bible as well. Sometimes you open your Bible and you read one that's not so fun. There's fun stories. There was this guy who had seven sons. And they went out and they started prophesying in Jesus' name. And the demons actually rose up and said, Hey, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but we don't know you. And they beat these guys up. I mean, it is absolute that's in the Bible. That's the truth. I'm not going to put that on the screen. But that really happens. And Paul is sitting there, I man, and all this is going on and the demons even recognize who Paul is. Paul is and what's going on. And then in Acts chapter 19, in verse 17, it says this. Look at this. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, right? So the Jews and the Gentiles who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord, look at this, the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Right? They identified with Christ, man. They They literally go out, I'm not going to read this, but if you go back and read Acts chapter 19, they go out from that point, as they realize the purpose that God has for their life, and they begin burning all of these books and garbage that had led them away from their relationship with God. And the Bible even ascribes a value to it and says, literally, they said, nothing will get in our way of serving God and being the church. Nothing. And they, they come to that place where they, they're burning all this stuff and they're getting rid of all of these things and, and and they're 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 saying, Man, I'm gonna elevate Christ into my life and I'm gonna be committed to him. And in, in Acts chapter 19 and verse 20 it says this, I love this verse. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Do you know what that word prevailing means? See, this is what's awesome about what was happening there, because we think, oh, it's just prevailing. But the word actually prevailing has a couple of different meanings. Listen to this. The first one is this. The word prevailing actually means that to be a force. To be a force. So the Word of God was growing mightily, and they were a force. Why do they translate it? I like that. You guys, that's pretty good. But anyway, the, the second one, listen to this. So the Word of God was growing mightily, and they were wielding great power. You see, what was happening in the church is this, and and I don't know, I, I got this from Pastor Zach, I think. They were rocking it for Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Does that make sense to you guys? Like, they were rocking it for Jesus. Like, when people came to Ephesus, they said, look at what's happening with the Christians. Holy cow! Handkerchiefs uh, are touching that guy. People are getting saved. They're wielding a force of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their community like never been happened. Look at what's happening. And they were practically living out their faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing what was going on? Man, it was so phenomenal what God was doing in their life and the way that God was working and at work in their life. But in the midst of all this, right, so we look at Revelation, now we've looked at Acts chapter 19. In the midst of all that's going on up here, they really began to see some things change and Paul goes, man, I've got to tweak some things. And he writes this book to the church at Ephesus that we know today as the book of Ephesians. And Paul was writing to them, talking to them about how they could practically live out their faith. And he was teaching them about how they could know God in a different way and have a relationship with Him that literally would be world changing and life changing to them. So, what happened? Now, let me ask you another question. Does anyone know the distance of time between Acts chapter 19 and Revelation chapter 2? 43 years. In 43 years. They went from being this radical people who were on fire to being this people who God was saying, Jesus speaking to them, saying, hey, you've left your first love. For many of us, it hasn't been that long, right? For many of us, we came to know Christ, and man, things just didn't work out the way that we thought they would, and and, you know, we're not sure what really God wants us to do, and and, and this is what we find out about the church at Ephesus. is that they didn't ch- God didn't change. They did. Right? God didn't change. They did. It was like their head was still in the right place. Right in the, in the book of Revelation, it says they did some good things. Their head was in the right place. What was the problem? Their head was in the right place, but their heart had not followed. Hey, how many of you would say this? Man, my head's in the right place. With God. But my heart, man, my heart hasn't followed. And he gives us, or we can see two things I think that may have happened here because the church begins to lose influence, right? They, they begin to lose sight of Christ when the church begin to lose influence, what we talked about earlier. I want to give you two things just really quickly that we see in this passage that I think we can learn from today as to why the church dies. And the first one is this. They rationalize their faith. They rationalize their faith. You know that Christians today, right, they seem to be asleep at the wheel. Have you guys noticed that? The culture continues to take over, and Christians continue to be asleep at the wheel. Uh, Someone was telling me between the service that um, literally the thing that's more dangerous ten times or something more dangerous than drinking and driving and all these different other things that can happen when you're driving, is driving while you're sleepy or while you're falling asleep. Because what happens when you fall asleep driving a car? Anybody know? You crash. You crash. And Paul, uh, realizing what's going on, he writes to the church at Ephesus and he tells them, right, you've got to know him in a different way. You've got to live for him. You've got to love him. And he's literally calling them out and saying, look, It wasn't about what you did, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It wasn't your work, but it's your identity. It's who you are in Christ. That Christ is your identity. And so often for us, I don't know if you guys realize this, but so often for us, it's the same thing. You know what? I don't think anyone here probably has quit on God, right? Most of us haven't quit. That's why we came to church today. But what the problem is, is that we discontinued our radical faith in Him, our complete trust in Him, because we said, you know what, that's for your young, that's for back then, now life is going around me, I've got a family, I've got all these things. And God never changed, but we changed because we moved away from Him. And what the church does today to rationalize our faith, and we talk about this all the time, but I think it's so clear in this passage of Scripture that it has to be said again, Is that as a church, we began to look, and remember, the church is us as a people. We began to look for information over transformation. You see, because information makes us feel good about ourselves. We go to church and we go, you know, I didn't know that the church in Revelation chapter 2 was the same church that we're reading about and studying about in church. Wow, that just made a big difference in my life. It did not make a bit of difference. It gave me something up here. It didn't change anything down here, right? but I feel better about the deadness of Christ in my life. You see, for us and for all of us, we have to look back and say, you know what, if looking back in our life defines where we were with Christ more than it does today, we have a problem. We've rationalized our faith. And when we begin to rationalize, that place gets so dead within us that we can't live for Him with the power and the authority that He's called us to Matt Candler uh, said this, and I love it. I, I wanted to put it on the screen for you. He said, when discipleship, that's learning about God and growing your relationship with Him, when discipleship is no longer about a way of living, but about information to be learned, a compartmentalization takes place in our spiritual thinking that results in what? What does the world say about the church more than anything else today? Because the world can see it as well. Right? The world can see when there is no power in our lives, when we're just going through the motions, when we go to church and when we get home we kick our neighbor's dog and throw their paper out of our yard because it's killing in the grass. And this thought hit me. And I think this is, is worth the price of admission this weekend, even though it was free, but I want you to take this with you because God just began to move in me. Listen to this. We end up seeing God as someone everyone else needs while serving a God that makes very little difference in our own lives. Wow. Wow. Have you ever been sitting in church and thought, man, I wish so and so was here? They needed that. But in your life, there's some things that need to change and. Pastor Chris never really seems to preach about those things. You see, you can begin to serve a God who's great for everyone else, but a God who makes no difference in your life at all. We were about information over transformation, but the second thing is this, and, and let me hit it really quickly. They focus on a me-centered gospel, a me-centered gospel. Gospel. Now listen to this. When you make the gospel me centered, you move to the middle and you move Christ to the outside. Now, when you move Christ to the outside, I want you to understand something. Christ never moves to the outside, right? If he's the head, you can't move him. So if he's the head and he's always the head, then what do you do? You take your focus off of him. And you begin to live for yourself, and you begin to live in your own way, because you can never take the place of Christ. Christ will always be the head of the church. And, this, and a group of people, yeah, you God praise, that's right. Well, we needed that sooner. Here we go. It's, it's deep. It's heavy today. But listen to this. Listen to In Luke chapter 15, let me read this to you. Now, all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners, to eat with them. Let me tell you what happened here. Let me tell you what happened here. This, this is so rich for the church today. Tax collectors were the IRS agents of the first century, right? You know what I'm talking about? But it was a little different for them. Instead of doing your taxes once a year, when they decided you needed to pay more taxes, they came to your house and said, hey, you need to pay X dollars, and you had to pay that or they dragged you off to jail. So it's a little bit different, but a lot worse, right? I mean, who likes paying taxes? But that would be worse than the way we pay taxes, right? And so there's these people, may begin to realize, man, God has a plan for my life. He has a purpose for me. They're listening to Jesus teaching. And then at the same time, there's another group of people. Now, when we say sinners, we don't think about it like they would have in the first century. You see, in the first century, sinners was a class of people. It were like saying low class or middle class or upper class for us. Sinners was a class of people. And what sinners actually meant, if you uh, read it in the context of what Jesus is trying to explain in the first century, is it means people who had a shady past, right? It was people who were like Pastor Chris. They were drug dealers and stuff like that. You know, I mean, it was all these people who had come from places. And, and hey, can I just uh, give you guys a side note? If we can't bring the people who have a shady past here or involved in sin here, where can they go? Right? Where can they go? They have to come here. But look at what happens, and and this is so important for us to see. The Pharisees and the scribes had put themselves, what? At the center of the church. And when they put themselves at the center of the church, they begin to say, you can't come to God. You can't come to God. You can't come to God. And you know what's happened in the me-centered gospel that we have today? We're good as long as the people who come from come to God look like us. But when the people who come to God start looking different than us, then we struggle with that, right? How can God really be doing that? What if they don't change enough? What if they don't do this? What if they don't do that? Then the gospel becomes me-centered, not Christ-centered. And the church becomes more concerned, and remember, by the church I'm talking about us, we become more concerned that we have a ticket to heaven than other people having a ticket to heaven, right? We get more concerned that the church is about us, that life is about us, that our family is about us, that our job is about us, and we forget that the Bible says that Christ is to be the center of everything in us. And that when Christ is the center of us, that everything in us points other people to Him. And that is why God left you on the earth after you came to know Christ, if you're a Christ follower. Because the gospel isn't just for you, the gospel is in you for other people. Christ is the head of the church for other people. Christ is in you so that other people can know Him, and so that you can bring His revelation of what He wants for this world in you. It's in you. It's not here. It's in you. Now, here's the thing, and where do we we take this home? Let's bring it home. What do you guys say? Because the challenge that we face this weekend is this. Our normal way that we go about church is, that message made me feel bad One day I'll be better. Have you guys ever noticed that? If feel bad, be better. I'll feel better. I mean, can we can we overcome that as a church? Here's the desire my desire for this message. My desire is that we would be transformed as this church so that we can rise up and make a difference in the world around us. You see, if you feel bad, you're not going to really be better. But if you're transformed, you will rise up to accomplish what is God's calling and purpose for your life. You are His workmanship. And He has a purpose for your life. And you know what? The purpose that He has for your life is so much greater than what you do. It has so much more for you than where you go every day of the week, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, or whatever your work schedule is. What God has for you is for you to lift Him up for you to rise up and be the church so that the people around you will be transformed and their life will be different in a way that they they never, ever believed that it could. But it only starts with us. In our church, all of us together, committing to serve God and to live a radical life of faith that He's called us to. Keep your head close your eyes right where you are. I want you to answer a question and I want you to answer it really quickly you don't need to think about it. I want you to answer this question. Do I have to look back to find my greatest days of the Christ Father? Do I have to look back to find my greatest days of the Christ Father? In this series, at the end of every message, we're going to ask the church to rise up And if that would define you today, if you would say, Josh, I've got to look back. Would you stand up right where you are? Because I want to pray for you. Would you rise up? Thank you. What faith? If you have to look back, God, I pray as people stand, that you would well up within them and that they would recognize that you were the head of their life. And that they may have taken their eyes off of you, but you are still there. And that, God, you desire for them to be used by you. And even as the book of Revelation, the church of Ephesus, you didn't say there was no hope. You just said, repent and come back to me. And so I pray right now that each one of them would repent. God, if they would turn their heart's focus and their eye's focus back to you. And that, God, in this moment, as they do that, that you would come down and transform within them their heart so that they would walk every day in the power and victory and authority that you have given the church to live in. God, you didn't give it to this building. You gave it to the people of God. Raise up an army of believers that faith promised God. I pray that you would put your presence in us in such a way that we would never be the same God and that we would accomplish everything that you've placed before us calling your purpose and plan for our life. We love you, God. Thanks so much for choosing to use us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hasn't God been good? Man, give him praise. Hey, Hey, I mean, maybe it's like, man, how do I practically do that, Josh? How do I practically take steps of living out faith in my life? Well, next weekend at each of our campuses, uh, we have an uh, experience called Next Steps. And at Next Step, we can connect you with believers uh, that you can grow in a small group with. We can connect you in a place to serve. We can connect you uh, in, a, in a place to give your life away to other people. We can help you know how you can accomplish what's God's purpose and plan for your life. And so if you take a communication card, fill that out, and uh, we'll get with you this week and let you know the time uh, and everything. But it's next weekend at all of our locations. Uh, and we want you to be a part of that. Man, we want to walk with you and help you be the church that God has called you to be. It's gonna be some of our pastors down front, prayer partners, if you have a need, man. We'd love to pray for you. Pray for Pastor Chris and Michelle as they come back. You'll be here next weekend. Be blessed. Have a great week. We'll see you then.